You're listening to the Theology Mom podcast. And now, here's Theology Mom, Krista Bontrager. Welcome. Welcome yes. to All the Things. I'm Monique Dusan. And this Go is ahead. the show where we discuss God, the Bible, real life, yes. all the things. And we are here live, and we want to do want to invite you to join us on the chat. Hopefully, the chat is working. We have been having so many technical problems in the last 24 hours. Big round of applause to my husband, Bob, working tirelessly. Yes. yes. Trying to get us back up and going. It's been crazy. But uh, we're going to hopefully see what's happening here. And we're hopefully the, the everything is streaming and we're live and people are going to be here. If you're there and you can see and hear us, yeah. send a little shout out in the chat box. That's right. So, you know, I think it's it's a good point to, or it's a good time to just talk a little bit. We're always trying to introduce people to what our vision of the show is. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, you and I come from pretty diverse backgrounds. Yep. And um, culturally, obviously, did you know I'm white racially? Yes, I, I found <laughs> that out yesterday. Yeah. But we uh, have different life experiences and we're both in a, our own journey and process. And um, we're wanting this show to represent, you know, people from different walks of life. And, you know, I play the professional theologian on the show and I'm just the person on yeah. the show. <laughs> but no, you're, you're, you're taking on the role of the question, the kinds of questions that regular people would ask. Cause, Cause you use a regular people. I have, yeah. I guess. <laughs> That's all I have today. Well, I think it's important to let people know that that is what you're up to on the show. Yeah. Um, like we were just talking off air or off camera a while ago that I am not a theologian. I'm actually, I actually studied sociology and social work and um, have a love and passion for that. And yeah, not really theology so much, although I think I'm growing in, in that <laughs> knowledge and appreciation. Um, so, yeah, I think when I ask questions, I do ask from a more like, hey, I wonder this or I wonder that. And it's it may come out ill-informed, but it's a more just because I'm just the regular person. Yeah. And, yeah, that's good. So just I'm always wanting to help people understand, you know, what the vision of the show is. And and we do have a very special guest that we want to introduce here and get on the air. But I do want to encourage everyone to get in our live chat box. Okay, Laura's watching from Dallas. She says she can see and hear us, so we're in business. Yay! Hi, Laura. <laughs> but, all right, let's meet Miss Mrs. Sarah Wilkins. Get from her, Enid, Oklahoma. Yes, get her on the show, and we're going to get her picture up here. Bob's working on it. While Bob's oh, working on yeah, it. We can um, see her. She's there. All right, good. Yay. It's Hello. all working. <laughs> yes. There she is. Awesome. All right, Sarah, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. Maybe we should do a little introduction. Yeah. Tell us, Sarah. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about you. We're going to be talking about ministry to young moms. It's such an important ministry. Um, uh, Once upon a time, I was a young mom. Well, maybe they're not young moms. Maybe they're just moms of young people. There it is. Because moms come in all ages. (laughs) Yes. And Sarah's been working in that ministry for a while, and we thought it'd be great to have a conversation about a ministry to young moms or moms of young children 
And um, maybe you can talk to us about how and why you got involved in this ministry and why you see this as being so important. Well, um, I was pretty regular too. I wasn't, was not raised in a Christian family and became a, a believer when I was about in sixth grade at a, a church that had a great bus ministry and had people that would pick me up. And I ended up um, marrying a man that went in full-time ministry. And then um, he was hired at a church in Enid, Oklahoma. And we moved up here while I was pregnant with my first child. And I didn't know anyone. And I had to give up uh, my job. So uh, I didn't know anyone. And I was invited to attend um, a mops group. And I went. Um, and my first baby wasn't very easy. So she, um, she would get kicked out of the nursery for about six months of her life. She never made it for more than 20 minutes in a nursery. So all the former ministries I used to be able to be involved in with my husband, I couldn't do anymore. So, um, I joined in with mops about 10 years ago, um, and have been in it ever since. So, um, and we, now we, we do, we create our own programming now and we're actually all moms. So all moms can come. They don't have to have just littles anymore for our group. So, so when you got involved with mops in the beginning, um, was that a time in your life where you were already a Christian or you were kind of coming along in your faith? What was the role that that group played for you? Well, uh, I became a believer in sixth grade. Um, and when we came to Enid Emanuel, which we're at, it's a large church. Um, so I'd always just been doing youth ministry and children's ministry and, uh, the role of a, a staff wife, just doing whatever needed to be done. Um, but Emanuel where we at a large church, there wasn't, um, a need for that. And I couldn't do what I did before. Um, so, and that was the first ministry that reached out. And what I saw um, was an amazing opportunity to reach out um, to moms within our community um, and immediately understood the openness of people in that position. Um, I met so many women that were just like me. They had just moved to town and they were having their first children um, and they didn't know anyone. And it was the first time in their life that they didn't have friends. And, um, they had to learn how to make friends. So they were, they were willing to come into a church, even though they didn't go to a church. And even though they didn't know anyone else, they would try it. Um, so immediately just saw the potential of, um, wow, this is a neat thing. This is a neat opportunity, um, for all kinds of women to gather together. Well, I think that mom's ministry is such a unique season of life when you're a mom of young children and it is it can be quite disorienting um things are changing your life has changed and having that camaraderie um certainly helps we didn't have a mops group at my church but we did have a similar ministry just run by my church there's a own their own independent program and it was such a um important time of my life to be able to begin to connect with other moms. And I'm still friends with many of those women. Um, in fact, one of our viewers right now that's watching, um, I met when I was 
a young mom and we were in that group together and that was just such a important season of my life um do you find that in that season people women are willing to come into the church um maybe they've fallen away from their faith or maybe they've had no faith that there's something about that vulnerable moment that season where they're willing to begin to investigate faith absolutely we've seen that um it's it can be incredibly lonely and um when you're new to town and you have a child so you have no natural friendships you have no co-workers uh, at the same time you also have uh, no boss telling you you did a good job um, so people can get very isolated um, and because of that isolation if they see uh, and are invited enough they will try it um, so if if a group if a ministry um, has eyes to see them and hospitality um, they will come and they will stay um, I think we have at our meetings, there's usually two brand new meeting, two brand new women every single meeting. Um, and we'll run some years. It's been as high as 60% um, new women uh, coming in and a vast half of them one year indicated uh, zero church experience or de-churched. So we have an application form and we ask those questions so we know who they are. Um, and we had, I think, 55 women two years ago that indicated that. Um, so, and that's a big deal in Oklahoma. Usually still, you'll write down a church here if you've gone in the last two years. So when someone leaves it blank or, um, or, or says none, they mean it. I mean, they really haven't been in a long time. So it's an opportunity for someone to come in um, and make friendships, feel comfortable in a church, realize for a lot of them, we're not, um, we're not weird. Um, we have that church people kind of have that reputation. Um, also, I, I think what they feel from our group, um, there's eight different denominations on our planning team. So ours isn't a single church ministry. It's really a community ministry. Um, so I, I think that relieves them of fearing that we might have some weird alternative or ulterior motive for them coming. Um, we can say, Hey, we do think you should go to church, but there's eight different ones here and we don't, we don't care which one you go to. Um, so. So I'm really unfamiliar with mops or mm -hmm. all, all moms. Um, how do people, how do moms get to you? Is it just word of mouth or like, is there advertisement? Our primary contact point is a public Facebook page. Okay. So, um, it's not super active all year long, but definitely in the summer, um, we try to do two posts a day, which might just be community information or um, parenting articles or things that moms might find interesting. So it keeps them coming to the page. And then um, a few weeks leading up before our first meeting, we'll post a series of what is all moms and we'll go through exactly what we do, like every single question there could be. And then we do a drive-through registration event, which is really good um, because they can watch the Facebook and then they can come and see us and they get to stay in the safety of their own environment in their car and their kids stay buckled up. 
and they can just keep on driving if they don't like what they see. So that has been a really good tool for people who are de-churched or who um, are unchurched because they drive up, they see what we look like, they choose to stop or not. (laughs) And then we get to talk to them and tell them exactly what happens at a meeting, exactly what they're supposed to do. And that really uh, helps. uh, What a creative idea. I, I just, I think that's such a creative idea. If, if you were to talk to pastors right now, like, what would you tell them about why mom's ministry matters? Like, why could that be a, a powerful way of reaching out to their community? Maybe pastors should think about adding this to their church. Well, they should because the women are open to it. Um, there's just not that many people groups left that are open to invitations that will just come to the church. Um, so it, it's a worthy investment at our large church. Um, we're the most effective evangelism outreach ministry that we have. And like I said, we've got eight other steering members from different churches. It's not like we're funneling women specifically to, to ours. Um, so we've seen really good results. And another huge aspect of it um, is it's lay led. So at the same time, we're teaching a lay team um, how to do Christian ministry and how to equip them to think of people um, the way God outlines for us to think of them in scripture, um, to see the value in people, to learn patience, and um, to learn to appreciate all different types of personalities and backgrounds and people, um, and then how to engage in relationship. And I just think the further think about how hard and uh, the millennial generation has with connecting in relationship, it's a deep desire. So I don't see this. I see that need for that, this kind of ministry to grow uh, because people desire relationships and they're isolated. Um, And if you can create an environment like in a mom's group where people can come in um, as complete strangers and give it a try, then, then that's amazing. Um, So it really, you know, for our church, our pastors aren't involved at all. So um, we do everything. We even plan all the, um, you know, what the kids are doing in the nursery. So we, we handle the purchasing of all that curriculum and everything. So um, it's a, it's a Um, good way to train people to actually do ministry. Yeah. And along those lines, um, tell us a little bit about your teaching tools and like the training tools that you're using. Uh, well, we started doing our own in 2016, which we were really scared to do. We had been purchasing um, programming from MOPS. We had had we had been a MOPS group for over 20 years. I think it was like 25 years. Um, so uh, we were initially really scared of that change. We thought, well, um, we'll have to change our name and maybe people won't come or maybe it won't be quite as slick and people won't come. Um, but it wasn't. So really uh, on our end, we're just creating a theme and graphics, um, Bible study um, materials. Initially, we created some training materials to actually do the ministry um, for the women who are on steering. Um, And then we put together a welcome packet for the women that goes with the theme. So we're basically doing um, the same method that MOPS did. We're just doing the creative ourselves. Um, 
which we've gotten done. And uh, that's another area of the leadership development is a lot of the women um, supply the writing. So for our theme, we'll collect a series of articles and make a book every year. Um, and lots of people, uh, women in ministry in our community send things into us that we then get to hear from at meetings and, and women in our own group do as well. Um, so that's, you know, it was very, we were scared and then we were surprised at how easy it actually was. Well, let me ask you about that because you've mentioned a couple of times that you transitioned away from MOPS and I know that MOPS is a, is a really big, huge ministry. It's an international ministry, but um, I'm wondering if you can talk to us about some of the things that played into your journey kind of going independent and why how that happened? Well, uh, I was really super and, you know, all in on the MOPS method. I went to the convention. They have an international convention every year. It's in the States. And I, I went multiple times. We always had at least three women go every year. Um, we had, oh, about my fourth year in, our group had gotten really small. We had a lot of turnover of leadership and we had a lot of turnover of women all at one time. Um, and our mentors, there's some older women in the church involved had suggested that we actually fold. So we had worked really, really hard to build our group back up. So it was really attached, uh, you know, and all in with mops. And I really think I thought of mops as the ministry, um, which I figured out Four years ago, the ministry is the local. The ministry is what the women, the lay people of the church doing the ministry. That's the ministry. Uh, Mops is is the tool. But in 2016, I still thought of Mops as the ministry. I wasn't leading the group. Um, I'd always just switched on the PR and the marketing. Um, And the coordinator position, there was an emergency and and. Six weeks before our first meeting, all of a sudden I was the coordinator. So Mops would send you a packet of the all the information for the year. And I was so excited. And I opened it. And I'm like, oh, I got six weeks to get this done. Um, and then I, I read it. And um, it was not at all like it had been in previous years. There was a very large change in content. Um, so Mops is the tool. It's the help. And um, MOPS partners with churches um, and you sign like a contract. And what they're providing is the training for the lay leadership to do the group. And then, um, you know, content that each woman gets, but she pays for. So each woman has to send MOPS money and register with them. Um, and then they write a theme. Well, there was a book that year um, and there was a brand new president that had just started and it was her book and her theme. And it um, was about, was a 180. So previous years, the book and the theme content were distinctively Christian worldview. MOPS is not a Bible study. Um, You're doing, but it was, had always been Christian worldview um, so when you opened up what the women got, wasn't like, um, Hey, you're a Christian woman. Here's your, here's your Bible, your Bible study book. That's not what it was. It was a book that was from the Christian worldview. Um, and the content 
would appeal to everyone, believer and unbeliever. But the, in, the things that were in that packet that year um, in, included uh, a lot of teachings that conflicted with essential doctrine. And what I mean by that, um, the basics. Um, my group, there's eight different denominations, and we believe drastically different things about a lot of things, but we all believe in the gospel, um, the simple gospel um, that we're sinners. There were some core essentials that, yeah. that you would rally around. Yeah. Right, that we all agreed on. And um, the content of the book, um, there was a lot of mysticism, a lot of John Philip Newell, who's a Celtic mystic, um, his ideas of sacred earth and mother earth and grounding and releasing of shame and um, that are contrary to the essential core doctrine that Jesus is the one that saves you from your sins, that you need um, a savior. So that when I read it, I took it to my pastor and asked him to read it. And, um, he read it and can, you know, I, I just brought to him and said, I'm afraid, um, we start in six weeks and I don't, I don't think you want me to use any of this and, but why don't you read it? And he did and immediately got back to me, um, and said, yeah, we can't, we can't do this. And I said, well, let me see what I can do. Maybe mops will let me pull things from the packet for the mom. We can, we can still do mops. Maybe this is a fluke and next year it'll be fine. Um, but maybe we can pull the things out of the packet and stay mops. So I tried to figure out what was going on and uh, tried to make it work, but couldn't. Um, there was no way to pull things out of the packet. Um, so, But we had already paid. So we used that theme that year. We just scrambled. and. Um, rewrote things and made packets. So, um, so in that, in that process though, what I hear you saying is that all of a sudden you were kind of thrust into a position of being your local church coordinator. Mm -hmm. You get this packet in the mail, you start thinking, Oh wow, the messaging is quite a bit different. All of a sudden there's a new person in charge. The wording is quite different and what we're getting now seems to be quite a bit different than mm -hmm. the 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 gospel oriented way that had been in the past and right now you're you're not only thrust into a position of being your local church coordinator now you've become an amateur theologian because you've got to try to figure out what am i how am i going to guide this group of women through something and how are we going to keep this important ministry together together. Right. And we, I didn't want the women to know half our women weren't believers. So the women themselves didn't know any of this was happening. Um, we never actually said anything. We, we just announced that we were doing a name change at the end of the year. Um, the crazy part was um, I did all this reading and I was, I was trying, trying, trying to get answers from mops. So I went through, they have, uh, there's two layers of volunteers before you get to a paid mops person. So I went through them and that took a while and I had six weeks to start with. So I was just, the clock was ticking. Um, 
And then finally got to speak with an employee in California. And I asked her those questions like, did you include other belief systems on purpose? Like, is this on, is this how a new strategy? Um, and it took several back and forth, but she responded and she did indicate that that's their strategy. She said, um, I have that email that mops please that act 17, um, which is the passage I had named my daughter after the year before my daughter's name is Damaris, which is a weird name, but it's out of act 17. And, um, so I was very familiar with that chapter and Paul, he's, he goes up, he's in Greece and, um, they're philosophizing at the top of the hill about all the different beliefs and all the gods are represented up there. And there's the, uh, there's the, to the unknown God thing. And he, Paul references it and, and tells them about Jesus. Well, there's only two converts and Damaris is one of them. Um, but in the email I got from Mops, it said that they interpret Acts 17 to mean that it's fruitful to include information from other religions, is basically what the email said. And then she went on to say, and if you have problems, um, then that's an opportunity for you to meet with the women who aren't Christians to explain them the difference between that in the book and what Christ teaches. Well, like I got 55 women <laughs> who aren't believers. That's a whole lot of explaining to do. Um, and that is not an interpretation of Acts 17 that any uh, well-known theologian has ever had. Um, so once I saw that in writing, um, that was a whole different thing. Um, and, and I, I and think that what's important in this is, to, we should probably say what the title of the book was because mm -hmm. we haven't mentioned that. It, it's the starry-eyed book, mm -hmm. and I have a graphic for that, um, and people can find it on Amazon. I read it a couple of days ago, and I'm going to be posting um, a review of the book on my YouTube channel in the next day or so just with my thoughts about the book in particular but the short version of it is that really, in my opinion, as a theologian, the, the worldview advocated in the book is some version of Eastern mysticism, pantheism, um, duality, and that it, but it also has like this splash of kind of medieval mysticism um, as well. It's, it's very odd, the, the mixing of worldviews that's in the book. But I, I wouldn't be able to say as a theologian that it's a distinctly Christian book, that it's pointing people to like using the thoughts of other perspectives to eventually point people to Christ. Like that's that's not what the book is doing. And so um, anyways, I think Monique had a had a question. I, did. I haven't read the book, um, but one of my original thoughts after reading the Share Jesus book and trying to see how it could fit in with the starry-eyed book is my question is along the lines of being seeker friendly mm -hmm. and is could this be mops attempt at being seeker friendly or is this just completely like off the page not seeker friendly new age and like a like you said earlier a 180 turn from the historic christian belief perspective 
Well, the, the problem is with mops is that women never see anything from mops until they pay and they don't pay until usually their second meeting if they're new. So I did speak with the president, Mandy Arioto on the phone, and I did ask her about that and said, um, because she, before she was the president, she was the marketing specialist at mops. Um, because in one of the emails they had said, we did these changes because we want to reach, uh, I think 5 million new moms and we want to do a new thing. And we think if we change the materials, we'll reach more. Um, so my question back to her was, but the, you know, if you're going to think of it in worldly terms, the customer's already been acquired before you see anything. So it, it's not outreach. Um, the only outreach the women see, um, MOP sends you pieces of graphics and that each group creates their own marketing stuff. And that's all they see before they come. So, and a lot of women don't pay, um, at least in my group, for quite a while, or it takes them a while. You know, they might pay $5 a meeting until they, they might lay away it. So um, that's what didn't make sense. Um, the tool mops, the way we saw it as a church, um, you know, for 25 years, one of the one of the mentor moms that's involved has been involved with it the entire time it's it's been at the church and she's still like she's I'm very close with her. Um, mops was the tool for evangelism outreach to moms in the community. So their job was to train the lay leaders and to give them content. So the mops content was supposed to help, uh, you know not deter, but help women um, move towards Christ. The meetings themselves, we have always and continue to have, we have live speakers. So we have live speakers from our community. It might be someone coming to speak on gardening, or it might be someone coming to do a cooking lesson, or it might be someone talking about um, finances. But the meetings themselves, um, classically in MOPS, weren't provided by them. Now they have changed that with Mandy. Now they send DVD videos um, that had started changing um, when Mandy came in 2015. And we played a couple of those videos. Um, but like one of them was from um, Glennon Doyle Melton. Um, and we played that video. And then I could tell from social media, like 22 of our women followed her that afternoon on Instagram. And, um, I have a lot of issues with her theology. Right. Yeah. They do not match Mop's statement of faith at all. So that's. I, th you I think what you're saying in all of that, Sarah, is that there's a difference between being seeker open and inviting. Mm -hmm. This mm -hmm. is kind of what I call it is that, you know, you're having, talks on kind of neutral topics like gardening or cooking or whatever. So it's not like you're trying to hammer people with the Bible from the right. moment they get in the door. So it is already kind of open and, and oriented toward a non-believer and inviting them into church. But at the same time, the behind the scenes programming is that we're, we're in conversations that are moving them closer to the cross, right. that are moving them closer to 
the real Lord Jesus Christ. And I think, right. Sarah, reading between the lines of what you're saying, I, I think what you're saying is this change in direction felt to you as a leader, like we're not really orienting people toward salvation anymore. We're just orienting them toward community as like an end goal. Yeah. And that it, it's no longer necessarily even Christian. It's it's just community for the sake of camaraderie. That's that's definitely what it seemed like the starry idea. And I will say that it's these are lay led ministries. And again, all the ministry is local. So every MOPS group is completely dependent on the discipleship of their lay women and what training and equipping they have received. In, in old MOPS, the training and equipping from MOPS was thorough and, and, and good in every area. That training changed also in 2016. They pulled it down 2017. Um, so, um, for instance, in the... Share, they wrote, they did away with all their training, which was kind of just, they had built on it for 25 years. Um, and that went away and they produced a little pamphlet book. Um, and it includes the training for um, sharing your testimony. It includes all the training for relational ministry and how to think about women coming in your door um, and how to check your heart and how to pray. It includes that, but it's missing you know, the scriptures that are actually uh, the gospel. So there's no training in that. So, so I mean, that not, part of it has been eliminated is the, right. the actual gospel training. Right. So it's not that the training they have is bad. It's just, it's missing something. And if you're a lay led ministry, like for me, I depended on that training. So if I'm going to stay with mops, I was also going to have to pull up another gospel training from some other place to use it. So um, groups could supplement that. They could have their pastor come in and say, hey, just tell us what the gospel is. Um, but wh why, you know, uh, why, why did that one part get removed? Um, so these are a lot of, a lot of questions that you, mm -hmm. that you've had as you've, as you've moved forward. And I think it's so, I guess I just really want to, honor your courage, Sarah, in speaking out about these things, because you're not a professional theologian. You are just a mom in ministry trying to reach other moms. And now all of a sudden you've been thrust into a position of, hey, I have some concerns here. You tried to, to investigate the concerns and ask questions and ask people that were high up in the ministry. Maybe I'm misunderstanding things. Maybe I'm not understanding what's going on. Can you hit, please help to clarify? And yet at every turn, it seemed like, no, these changes are intentional. We really are trying to go a different direction. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. th and that's the response that I got, um, which prompted me to write a blog. And I, I'm not a blogger. Like uh, I wrote in college to eat like feature stories. <laughs> so, but I don't blog. Um, so, but I just was investigating. I read Starry Eyed and she mentions quite a few people in the book. So I watched all their stuff and read their stuff and then could realize, you know, a lot of Starry Eyed is Newell's idea. Like you, once you watch Newell from 2016, oh, that's his idea. That's his idea. That's his idea. Um, so it just caused just 
hours and hours. I was kind of obsessively researching it and uh, wrote a blog just to say, hey, here's the concerns. It'd be good if it'd be good if some if pastors read the book. Um, and to be honest, a lot of groups, a lot of the steering teams, nobody ever reads the book. Um, the problem is Mops changed it too, where now the materials the mom gets, they reference the book. So there's much more incentive to buy it and read it. Um, so they include this workbook for the book. So the women get the workbook, but they don't get the book unless they buy it separate. Um, but I just thought this seems like a big change. And they're changing the training um, and wrote the blog. And because I wrote the blog, there's a realization that I was not the only one having concerns because that blog got more separate IP hits than anything my pastor has ever gotten on any other article. Um, there were a lot of people looking for information um, and a lot of people hunted me down and, and talked to me on the phone and emailed me. Um, so, uh, including former, uh, lots of former, uh, coaches. What has, like, since the blog, how has that connected you to other women and how are you seeing other groups handle, um, this drifting away, if you want to call it that, um, and how are they handling potentially even leaving their own mops groups? Well, it's, it's really difficult because a lot of women, I've gotten phone calls the solid last three years. The first six months after that blog, it was intense. It was 40 plus hours a week um, and getting our group started of people calling and saying, you know, what, what do I do? So I spoke with a lot of different people and kind of came to the conclusion that the number, the thing that makes it easier is if people realize that MOPS is a programming tool and not the ministry, that the ministry is what your group is doing. And if you can make that separation, then you can think about it more clearly. Um, lots of groups, this was a huge problem because the steering teams of lay women themselves were trying to make the decision and they would have people on both sides um, that were adamant and it, it, ate up a lot of people. There was a lot of bad uh, things happening at different churches over this. My recommendation has been on the phone over and over again is ask your pastor to make the decision. Give your pastor the packet, ask him to look at it or her to look at it and ask them to make the decision because as, uh, the relationships within the steering team won't be the same if not everybody's in agreement. So that's some that, good advice. That's really good advice. It's because really, then the pastor has having a say and because you're wanting him or her to be behind the ministry as a whole, what you're trying to do to reach the de-churched, to reach people who are non-Christians. Um, you want them to, to have some buy-in to mm -hmm. that and mm -hmm. to understand the vision. So I think that's some really good advice. Um well, the Not other thing was just encouraging to do it, to don't quit whatever yeah. you decide to do. A lot of groups called me and they decided to stay um, with MOP, some of them in name only. So they'll be really restrictive with what they use. Like, so they might not use the videos or they might rewrite the things that come in the packet. The year that we were with MOPs last year, like we, there was a dare, there was a 30 day dare, truth or dare sheet thing. 
well, we rewrote that where it would work with our group. Um, so just encourage you can stay with them. You just, you're going to have to, you're going to have to redo a lot of what you're already paying for. Um, if you have issues with some of it. So um, one of our viewers has a question. Uh, Laura wants to know, are there more biblically faithful programs that we can recommend to moms? Like, is there any emerging mops alternative or is everyone just kind of going independent? Is that sort of the trend? Um, we've emailed out our programming a lot the last three years. If someone's asked for it, we've sent it to them. <clears throat> what's available on the market is for Christian women. There's a lot of women's, women's ministry at the church organizations, but they are not Christian worldview. They are discipleship based. Right. So we searched high and low because we really didn't, we thought we need something else. And um, I, I talked to the lady that was running mom to mom to see what was available at the time. And the goal for that ministry is Christian women. So we wanted our goal to stay um, outreach. So I'm sending it to people, but a lot of bigger churches I've talked to have just kind of, I think a lot of them just aren't doing themes. They're just still doing speakers and using the method. They're, they're using the name MOPS, but they're just not using the programming so much. No, you can't legally do that. So oh, you just okay. have to change your name. Okay. Um, but they might not be creating, we're creating all the same kinds of content that MOPS did uh, as far as a packet and a theme. Okay. So, Kudos to you for taking that stand and definitely standing that ground in that area where it is outreach and it is reaching out to people who, to women who are unchurched and isolated and alone in that season of life. I think that's huge. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm also wondering what encouragement do you have to moms who are considering leaving or don't really know exactly how to stand in the middle of seeing a drift in, in the theology of mops? Well, the encouragement is it's a tool and the ministry can be done without the tool, but also um, there was a, there, there was a, a podcast released uh, a week ago that quoted me a lot, but I didn't even know that was happening. And their kind of encouragement was leave it now, leave mops. Now I would say, no, don't stop the mom's ministry. You need to still do it. And I've spoken to a lot of groups that are still doing mops you just need to be vigilant in what you're exposing your women to. Like you've got to do the research. You need to research um, the speakers in the video before you play it because your women will follow that person's social media. So even if this content of the video is fine, is their everyday fine? Um, so if you're going to stick with it, my encouragement is you're going to have research it. Um, you know, and I, I got the list of their videos this year, a few weeks ago, and several of the people, like I would play that video at my church and some of them I wouldn't. So there has to be an amount of vigilance about checking each of the tools. Right. Yeah. What's, and, and to think through, um, does this message, does it, is it innocuous? Does it, you know, not push them either direction? 
Does it move them towards Jesus or does it point them in a different direction? And anything that points them in a different direction needs to go. So, and to me, I'm good with innocuous. I'm good with a good gardening lesson. (laughs) So, um, that's, you just have to be vigilant in the content and know that if you don't want to do mops anymore, like you can still have that ministry at your church. You can use method methods are not copyrighted. Like you can do that. Um, you, you just wouldn't have, uh, their theme to use, but our, literally no one asked us a question about it. Uh, when we switched, no one noticed. Now, how can people get connected with you? Um, is there a way that people can can reach you if they want to continue the conversation? Sure, I answer. Um, I answer my emails, um, so there I'm available through that. They can find the Enid All Moms Facebook and message through that or follow that. In um, Enid, Oklahoma, E N I D, Enid, right. Oklahoma. Okay. Um, so I'm open to answering those kinds of calls. Do I, do you want me to give my email address? Well, can they, if, even if they just look you up on Facebook, will they find oh, yeah. you? Yes. And I'm the Sarah Wilkins that doesn't party. There's two Sarah Wilkins and <laughs> Enid and I have three kids and I stay at home. So okay. that's well, that can you. be a party all of its own. <laughs> so. Just a different party. <laughs> Well, Sarah, it's been really great to have you on the show, and I appreciate all of your meticulous research. Uh, people just need to know the, like the hundreds of hours that have gone into into all of this for you. Um, and I have been the late joiner in this, but I really just again want to commend you on your courage. And not every every person would answer the call to advocating for doctrinal discernment. I mean. I think that moms deserve good theology. I don't think that we should tell moms, hey, you know, you're, you're kind of not as smart as everyone else. You, it's okay if we give you sloppy theology. Um, as a theologian, I always want to advocate for good theology for children, for families, for moms, for dads, for everybody. So I just really commend your courage in what you've done to try to become a voice and a face for saying, hey, wait a minute, um, something, we're drifting into an area here that that might not be good. And asking the right questions, trying to talk to the right people, researching this, it's hard because when something has been as loved as MOPS has been for you to go through the transition you've been through, it, it takes a lot of courage. And I just want to commend you for all that you've done in that area. Well, thank you, Krista. And just the encouragement is if you have a group, figure out how to keep it. And if you don't have a group, you should, uh, because women will come. Yeah. So it's a great ministry. It is a great ministry and reaching de-churched moms, reaching non-Christian moms is an important ministry. And you're right. I love what you said at the beginning. There's very few people groups left that will, that, that just need an invitation. They're in a season of life where they're really open to something new and i think that's pretty perceptive of you and i love your evangelistic heart uh for the non-christian and uh keep up the good work and again i'm going to be posting in the next day or so um a book review 
of the book Starry Eyed that we've been talking about tonight. And I'll get that up on my YouTube channel so people can watch on my Facebook page or subscribe to the YouTube channel to get notified about that. So thank you, Sarah. Keep in touch and let me know how things are continuing to progress. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Good night. Good night. Well, that was interesting. There's that. Yeah. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Um, because uh, things are falling down over here. Yeah. Um, you were a little nervous before we went on the air about. Well, this. I just I am wondering, and I think she helped to clarify some questions. Um, but are we as Christians wanting to be like too constrictive in? our seeker-friendly posture, like, oh, no. And I think this is the thought that I was coming into the conversation with, of, like, you know, do we have to use all the big terms on the first time I meet somebody? So we got to talk about the cross and the blood and, you know, atonement and sin and, you know, all these things. I just want to come and see what y'all doing. You know, why do we have to go there so soon? And not to say that those aren't important um, important themes or important parts of scripture that are integral to the faith, but also, is she still on, Bob? Yes. Yeah. Maybe mute her sound. Okay. You know, this is real life, people. (laughs) We are real. Okay. Um, real. Yeah. But also, you know, not wanting to preach a different gospel. I yeah. think we are, Paul warns us about preaching a different gospel. You know, yeah, I think it's, it's Galatians Paul. 1. There you go. Yeah. yeah, see, I am this way. I'm not the theologian. Um, but for me, when I read the Share Jesus book, I, there was nothing in there that to me said, oh, I'm pointing you to a different gospel. Right, and, and I, I would agree with that. I mean, there's nothing overtly. Well, there's a couple of bad, really bad examples of don't interpret the Bible this way. That's really bad. But I'll I'll leave that to the side. It's not there's a difference between bad exegesis and leading people into a different worldview. Yeah. So I, I'm willing to have some grace about that. But I think I mean I'm wondering if Sarah's conversation changed your mind about about any of those concerns and in how she's her methodology in in trying to make it oriented. What did change non, my mind was the part where she talked about this is a tool to train lay people on how to evangelize to a non-Christian. I don't, I wouldn't want to see a tool that includes new age or mysticism or, you know, some other whatever, you know, in a tool to outreach to someone else, unless it's telling them, Hey, in in this situation regarding the person who does believe in mysticism, this is the counter to that. This is how you work with that, but not in, in, not from a stand of being all inclusive in saying, well, you know, people can believe in this and all roads lead to Jesus because all roads don't lead to Jesus. Um, but yeah, I don't, I'm not that familiar with mops. Um, I did have a conversation with a friend who is, involved in mops and the the term seeker friendly came up sure and so i thought about that quite a bit like there's nothing wrong with not talking about blood and atonement right you know my first day meeting someone even though my end goal is to introduce you to christ but doesn't sound like that's what sarah's doing 
No. I mean, at all. I mean, it sounds like they're really trying Talking to Talking about gardening. Yeah, you know? ha- having a balanced approach, creating an inviting environment. Um, but what I think Sarah's point is, is that when we do get around to the conversations. How about, do you do that? Yeah. Who is Jesus? Mm-hmm. What does it mean to be a Christian? Yes. We want to be like crystal clear. Yes. About where we're pointing people to. Yes. Rather than introducing what I would consider in the starry eyed book, a different worldview. Mm-hmm. So, and then kind of tacking Jesus onto that, which I think is deeply problematic. But I'll detail all of that in, in my review, and I've got some some quotes and everything that I'll talk about. But um, I think it was a good conversation because it really points out to me what the reason I wanted to have Sarah on the show is that um, I have a saying on my on my uh, website: the theology is for everyone. I really truly believe in my heart that everyone is a theologian. Now you can be a good theologian or a sloppy theologian, something in between. You can be a professional theologian like myself, or you can be a regular mom. But all of us have a theology, and all of us are passing that theology on to the next generation, good, bad, sloppy, or otherwise. I think Sarah is an excellent example of that all of us have to have some baseline knowledge to know when something starts going into the ditch, um, hey, wait a minute drift is happening here i don't want to be carried away as it says in ephesians 4 by every wind of doctrine sarah has has she's researched it she didn't just react she went and talked to the leaders she leveraged her network to talk to the right people to ask the right question get her pastor involved research on youtube i think as a lay person she has done an outstanding job of what i wish more people would do is noticing drift yeah so i just i appreciate her stand for moms um of any age because you know women in their 40s are now having babies too so yeah <laughs> you're hopeful yeah you know <laughs> whatever um yeah i i just i like her stand yeah and saying hey this is what i noticed but i'm not gonna stand for that we are going to continue to promote sound doctrine yeah we're going to continue the ministry. We're going to continue yeah. to reach out to non-Christians. This to isn't church. going to stop us. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's good. So new teachings on my YouTube channel. I just finished this little series on the curse of Ham. And I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. So ahead. I'm going to put you on the hot seat. Uh, I have to tell you, honestly, that um, this question of um, is the curse of Ham in Genesis chapter 9. That was a completely new concept for me that that was thought of as being like the source of the black race. Like, you should have found out how shocked I was when I read it at Biola. <laughs> I, I yes. have no knowledge of this. So um, I'm just curious from, uh, you're, are you ready to like speak for all black people now? I will not speak for all black people. Oh, I will speak for myself. For yes. 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 Very good clarification. Yes. I am one. So uh, that's sort of an ongoing joke between Monique and I. Yes. Because sometimes people ask her opinion. I think, can you speak for all black people? Yeah, that was my life at Biola. Yeah. But I love Biola. I really do. It's a special place in my heart. <laughs> um, but why do you think this question about the curse of ham even matters? Like, do you think that this is a thing? Have black people ha- heard of this idea and 
Or do they have a perception about themselves as being cursed? I don't think so. Okay. And I'm not sure that many know that this is even going around in circles of Christian thought. Or that it was. Or Yeah, that it was. 50 years ago, 200 years ago. This was like such a dominant view. Yeah. And I... I didn't. I found out quite accidentally when I went to the library at Biola and got a book, and there it was by one of the founders. Yes, and I was like, "Oh, oh, oh no, oh yeah!" <laughs> like, who knew that this was really a thing? Yeah. Um, you want to describe but, what that is? The, the, the well, uh, in a nutshell. Yeah. The well, the curse of Ham is this idea that that the curse that Noah spoke over his son and his grandson was the origin of the black race and that it was their destiny to be slaves, yes. to, to, to be subjugated by the other brothers of, of, of Ham, the, Noah's other sons. And so this was used as a biblical warrant for hundreds of years and not for, just slavery. for slavery, but the idea that black people weren't as smart, they weren't as smart um, yeah. that they, we shouldn't intermarry outside of our race. Yeah. We weren't civilized. So yes, this this realm of thought has been carried out for a very long time. Do I think that other blacks, other, other like black people, African-Americans are sitting around talking about this at the coffee table? I don't think so. I I don't even really know that outside of the maybe theological, maybe, you know, like pastors or um, people who have studied theology would really even be aware of one, the curse of ham one. And then two, that this, because I sure wasn't, but that this relate was in any way in relation to like blacks in general. Well, I I think it's just, but it's important to talk about because this has been the foundation among Christians for slavery. This has been the foundation for, you know, a lot of things in the realm of Christianity. Well, it, and it, it surprised my socks off. Yeah, because, I yes, it did. I remember when you found out. I was like, what? But I, I, it's interesting to me how quickly it has fallen out of our memories. That, that you know, uh, Louis T. Talbot, which is the founder of the, sem- the namesake of the seminary that I attended, uh, his book that was published in 1938, which appears to be unredacted, you can buy it on Amazon right now, mm-hmm. still contains these passages. And yet, since about the 50s or so, I think that this idea has so quickly fallen out of our memory that most people aren't even aware that it was a thing. But it was so pervasive. I mean, there there's... Um, uh, some examples that I give in the videos of just how culturally pervasive this view was and that it was used as a critical biblical warrant by Christians in the South to um, including the founders of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, um, that this was the warrant for defending slaves, uh, defending slavery, defending slave ownership, um, and that this was the destiny of black people to be subjugated. That, and, and that these were people that, you know, were great defenders of the faith that, that held this position. I was utterly shocked to find this, and that's why I made the videos. You know, I think they've gotten about 10 plays, but maybe <laughs> having this conversation, some more people will watch it. Because I, I really actually think it's important information to be aware of. Yeah, I wonder if people just kind of 
forgot or if it's just not popular to talk about, you know, nobody really wants to be like, you're cursed, (laughs) you know, like that's not really the pro thing to say, you know, Um, or if this is something like in your grandfather's, you know, minds that he remembers or your grandmother, they remember this time and just know that the culture has drifted away from that line of thought, yeah. but still kind of hold that as a as a belief. And that was sort of the, what prompted my question um, is, is there a concept in Black culture that you're aware of that um, Black people think about this maybe in their, re- their subconscious, you know, that they're part of a cursed race or they're part of a cursed people or they think about themselves in in sort of a subjugation kind of a way that maybe this is some remnant or leftover from this idea but what i hear you saying is no i don't i don't i don't, really I think, don't so. think so like okay. especially not in this time period where you have things like black girl magic and kings and queens and like just all of these things to kind of promote esteem okay. within the black community um and yeah, the idea of, you know, that I am a product of a curse because of all my beautiful melanin. Um, I love your I melanin. Just, <laughs> yeah, I don't think that that's, that's something that people are sitting around like, okay. dang it, in that well, one I just, time. I was just curious. I was cursed. <laughs> I don't, I personally don't think so. People could, you know, share this video and I could be sat down and completely, you know, corrected. But I just, I don't see that. I would love to hear if there's any older black people that viewers that watch the video and, and have anything to say about this of, you know, they remember a time when this was more of a, of a view in our culture. I would love to hear from them as to how it maybe affected them or if it was, or if it wasn't a, a thing, because boy, it just, I, I was stunned at how pervasive this view was 50, a hundred, 150 years ago. But, and, and what that view then meant in like you have it's kind of like the pebble in the pond like you throw the pebble in the pond and then you get all these ripples and this one pebble of a thought that the curse of Canaan now led to you know the curse on black people or the the black race what that then drifted out to become yeah that is what I think is even you know more tragic and disconcerting is that that one thought yeah. led to so many other atrocities. Yeah, exactly. And that was what was just so rough for me um, to, to grapple with. And I'm still grappling with that, is the question of how do I think about these great defenders of the faith and how could they have such a glaring misunderstanding of Scripture on this issue that had such a far-reaching effect? Like you said, the pebble in, in the pond, it, it just... It had such a far-reaching effect for generations of Black people, and and uh, just truly sad and stunning to me. And I'm still reeling a bit from it, to be honest. So um, it's good, but uh, it, it, this is good. Like we're showing people, people can have a, a conversation about race and not lose their minds. Well, there's that. <laughs> there's that. Or you know, sometimes you do, but that's okay. <laughs> sometimes you sometimes do. Sometimes you do. And so, then you come back. Yes. So you, you gather t- yourself to yourself. And then you try again. Yeah. So. But I think that's what's important too. Um, 
I think that people often become worn out or mm. weary in having conversations about race. And it doesn't have to be that. It can be a, hey, I don't understand this. Maybe I'm not explaining myself right. I don't understand you. Why don't we take a break? Or uh, let's try again later. Yeah. 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 Let everybody take a nap. Because <laughs> Jesus took naps. Jesus took so naps. We should all just take a nap and come back again. Yeah. Um, and holding a posture where it's not always an offense. Like, aside from calling me a racial slur, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. taking a posture of grace and the assumption that the question is from a place of good and not because there is a, like, an ignorance that you, or I don't even know the word for it, but like a... And ignorance because you just choose to to not see that I'm really trying to see that you're believing the best about yeah, me. Yeah, believing the best that yeah. you know, even in this hard conversation or tears or whatever, I'm going to choose that your ignorance or lack of understanding or my ignorance and my lack of understanding is from a pure place and not from a place because I have. I'll just say it, this privilege. Yeah. And I think that's a buzzword that's going around in our culture right now. Well, you don't see certain things or I don't see certain things because of this privilege that I have. Well, maybe it's just because I didn't grow up this way. Maybe it's just because I really, truly don't have an understanding. Can you break it down a little bit? Or maybe I'm just, the, the culture has become so hostile that I'm afraid to talk about it. Yeah. Because I'm afraid if I make a mistake or I say something the wrong way, yeah. people are just going to jump on me and, and I'm not going to know. You know, they're going to call me names and I'm not going to know where to go from there. And what started out originally as my heart just trying to ask an innocent question has become, you're a bigot. Well, see, so, and there's this guy, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right, Vadi or Vodi, Bakum. Yeah. Um, and one of the things I was listening to to one of his teachings today, and he said, he used the, the verse in Jeremiah 17, that the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Like, who can know it? And when we hold that position of, let's say, let's say I, I will take this, that I said something and it was highly offensive to you. And I said it without my knowing and you're, well, how can you not know? There's an assumption that you know my heart. Right. But how can, when the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things, technically you can't even know your own heart. And now you're assuming that you know mine. I think our, our culture and the time that we're living in, we, we live in a bunch of assumptions and a bunch of offenses without standing back and giving people the benefit of the doubt, without standing back and saying, hey, maybe this isn't true. Let's question our doubts or our questions. Yeah. And I think that that's true on both sides. Yeah. That in race conversations, but we're way, we're like way over time. But we'll, yes. just, we'll just keep talking. Yeah. So sure if, if people want to jump. Because it'll be one of those days. Yeah. But I, I think that in race conversations these days, the the difficult one of the difficulties is that there is so much suspicion um, between, especially, I think, between white people and, and black people that, that, that you know my motives and I know your motives. Mm -hmm. And we already are in a set of assumptions or pre-beliefs about one another when we arrive at the conversation mm -hmm. and so it's really hard to get to get past that and um there's sometimes where i listen to conversations between extremely well-meaning and thoughtful and intelligent 
black thinkers and they'll talk about white people in such a derogatory way. I'll be like, are they going to, are they assuming that no white people are going to listen to this? And are they assuming that white people like just are going to endure all of this and that we don't understand what's being said? I mean, it's, it's so hard for me and I want to get in the conversation but there's so much derogatory talk that it, it really it, about my motives that it's like, wow, I don't I don't know if I want to go down this path. Mm. It's really tough. I, I, I agree that it is tough. Um, I think that people within certain spheres and I think that it's white or black because the sure. the the message is the same. Yeah. And there are tons of white speakers who are out there giving the same message as the black people who are giving those same messages. Um, and it's more of a sociological message. And I would say a sociological message kind of with Jesus tacked onto the back of it. Um, but I don't think it's fair to say that it's only black people or like when you listen to black theologians who are speaking about those things, I definitely see that, see that. There are people on both sides. It's yeah. just a hard, hard message. And I can say that I don't necessarily see like the love in that. Yeah. Um, and I was going to say something and I completely lost that train of thought. Um, yeah. But I, I, I think that it is hard to jump into that conversation because the people who are having that conversation are generally having that conversation within themselves and among themselves. That's what, so that was my point. There's yeah. terminology and, and implicit agreement. They already. all, they all know what they're talking about and they already all agree generally mm -hmm. to a set of beliefs. And I'm coming as an outsider and I'm trying to get into the discussion and I'm like, I don't even understand what they're talking about, but I know they're really angry about white people. Um, I think I'll turn this off now. And, that's as far as it goes. It's it, and then we wonder why, in our culture, we're not succeeding more with unity. And I'm, I'm, increasingly moving into the the belief that the best place to have race conversations is actually in relationships, where you have something at stake. When we're just screaming at strangers on social media, there's nothing at stake. And I, I it's it's much harder to get to understanding. Because the love is easier to turn off when it's a stranger. Whereas if it's somebody in a physical body right in front of me, I want to figure out how do I stay in a posture of love and preserve the relationship. The relationship has to be first. Mm -hmm. um, and the race conversation has to somehow fit into the relationship. I don't know how that happens on social media. It's just a question. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure either. I see a lot of my, my friends who do post about it and um, things that I completely agree with, the information that I think is great to have out there, things that I don't agree with. And I think for me in this season, I've well, prior to this season, I talked about race a lot. Um, and now, you know, I'm just like, how can I just do life with other people well? And know that if race comes up, I have thoughts and opinions and that's okay. But I don't know that my biggest fight or plight right now needs to be yeah. about race. And, and I also don't think that I'm colorblind or that anybody should be colorblind because that is, you know, 
We should talk about that sometime on we, the show. We should. Yeah. You know, I think that 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 disregards people. Yeah. But um, yeah, there's there's tons to talk about yeah. regarding that. But um, I do agree that it should be done in relationship, and it should be done with the eyes to see people. And part of seeing people is to recognize that they have ethnicity and that they have culture and history and color in their skin. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And then it goes both directions. Yes. Yeah. Good. Well, it's been fun. Thanks for being on the adventure with me. You know, day by day. (laughs) Day day. (laughs) Just working it out. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening in. Yes. We're talking. Uh, we want to encourage you to check out our podcast. Um, if you want to, uh, if you miss the show live, you can always catch the replay, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, just search for Theology Mom. We're there. And we would appreciate your support so yes. that we might need a new computer. I don't know we, what yeah. we're doing. Life is real, people. Yeah. Life is real. We might need a new computer. You guys pray. Pray for that. Yes. Um, and also donate for that. Yes. yes. But we do appreciate all of the support and those of you watching and enjoying the show. Thank you. Share so the show. Share, Share it on Facebook. Yeah. Yes. The conversation with Sarah was very thought provoking and I hope people will share it. And um, so thanks everyone. We appreciate your support and uh, we just want to say that we, we appreciate you supporting the show and being part of the conversation with us. Take care. Yeppers. Bye. God bless.